Greetings. I'm Matt Matthews, one of the pastors here at First Pres in Champaign, and I'm happy to welcome you to our media ministry. Join us in person. We're located at the intersection of Church and State Streets, adjacent to Westside Park in downtown Champaign. Our traditional worship service is at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and on most of those Sundays, we offer French translation. Our contemporary services on Sunday begin at 11.15 a.m. When you come to First Pres, what you'll find, what I hope you'll find, is a community of people who support each other and who are passionate about making a difference in our community and beyond. You'll find relevant teaching for children and adults. We have at least a dozen Bible studies in small groups, including pickleball, that's right, pickleball, adult choir, a bell choir for all comers, and other programs and events designed to grow your faith and give you and me opportunities to serve. There's a place for you. I'm glad you tuned in. We are looking at a passage in our lectionary from 1 Peter today. 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 beginning with verse 18. Christ died once for our sins. An innocent person died for those who are guilty. Christ did this to bring you to God when his body was put to death and his spirit was made alive. Christ then preached to the spirits that were being kept in prison. They had disobeyed God while Noah was building the boat, but God had been patient with them. Eight people went into that boat and were brought safely through the flood. Those flood waters were like baptism that now saves you. But baptism is more than just washing your body. It means turning to God with a clear conscience because Jesus Christ was raised from death. Christ is now in heaven where he sits at the right side of God. All angels, authorities, and powers are under his control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. I am preaching a four-part sermon today. Actually, it's really four small sermons in one. It'll take about two hours. I'm glad you're here, uh, and I'm going to try to tell you when I'm changing gears, because they really are four distinct sort of different, different movements. The first is that this passage from Peter offers us some insights into Christian doctrines of atonement. The atonement suggests that because of our sin or brokenness, we are separated from God, and something needs to, be, something needs to happen uh, for us to be made right to God. The wall needs to be taken down. The chasm needs to be spanned. And we, the church, believes that Jesus the Christ does this. We are at one because of Jesus. at one could be atonement. The mechanics of atonement differ from theologian to theologian and from one period of church history to another period of church history. Some theologies espouse this uh, a view that something needs to be sacrificed in order for God to be happy. This is a, a, um, an Old Testament view for sure. Um, it it's, uh, might be called a vicarious satisfaction theory of the atonement. Something needs to be paid in order to cover human debt that we could never pay. We might discuss this at one minute, this reconciliation in terms of some cosmic battle between good and evil. And the church believes that The battle has been won. Jesus the Christ is victorious. Victorious Christ or Christus Victor model of atonement. 
there are many ways of talking about the atonement. And the atonement is just one aspect of the wider theology of, of Christian theology. But there's the recapitulation theory, the penal substitution theory, the governmental theory, which is Arminian, the moral transformation theory, which is Abelard. You all know this from your theology study. There's the moral example theory, the embracement theory, the shared atonement theory, etc. The Confession of 1967, though, summarizes it very nicely in the words we're going to share for our affirmation today. And those words in part say this, God's reconciling act in Jesus Christ is a mystery which the scriptures describe in various ways. It is called the sacrifice of a lamb or a shepherd's life given for his sheep, atonement by a priest. Again, it is ransom of a slave, payment of debt, vicarious satisfaction of a legal penalty, and victory over the powers of evil. These are expressions of a truth which remains beyond the reach of all theory in the depths of God's love for humankind. They reveal the gravity, cost, and sure achievement of God's reconciling work. So the point of all this atonement theory is that God makes things right because God loves us and God will not abandon us. The proof of this is the life, death, resurrection, and the reign of Jesus. We are made sure of it because of Jesus. My old minister, Reverend Andrews, who I've written about and told you about uh, many times, put it this way to us teenagers when we were just you know, young in youth group. He said, God does not look at us without also seeing Jesus. And so God just loves us all the more because of God's image printed on us. Part two, I'm turning, part two. At the center of our theology of atonement, at the center of all of our theology is what? Jesus. Jesus is at the center of everything. We can argue about what's next or third or fourth or fifth, but, but Jesus is always first. Jesus is the reason for the season. That's true for, for Easter or for Christmas, but it's Easter and Lent for any day. Jesus is the reason for the season. And we might sing that that centrality of Jesus with all kinds of songs that have made it into our uh, hymn book and into our hearts. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Or the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Or um, on Christ the solid Rock I stand, all other ground is sinking. Right, Jesus is the center. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells. This is true for Lutherans, and it's true for Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists, and, and uh, uh, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus is at the center of it. So, Jesus is at the center of our faith. Point three, we're turning again. Arguably, the most universally recognized symbol of Jesus is the cross. It's not the fish 
though that's a nice symbol, isn't it? It's not the rainbow. It's, it's not the empty tomb. Uh, it's not other symbols. Those are fine symbols, of course. They're fine symbols. But arguably the most recognized symbol is the, the cross. And we Protestants would say it's the empty cross. That is to say there is no corpus on it. There is no dead or dying Jesus on it. The empty cross symbolizes the resurrection of Jesus over the powers of death. And the empty cross symbolizes Jesus' reign. The cross is the center, arguably, of the Christian uh, church, of Jesus, who's the center of our faith. All right, Gary, move around, brother. brother. When Rachel and I left the seminary after we married, we stopped by Jeff Kellum's office. He was my best man at our wedding. He gave me a small box, and in the box was this cross, just a simple cross, some marks where the nails would be, an X across the center where the heart was broken. He told me, he said, Matt, when you get in that car, I was driving the brand new Dodge Colt. Rachel was driving the old blue Chevette. It was constructed in 19, or excuse me, 1719. <laughs> it was an old thing. It got like eight miles to the gallon. Before we got in those cars, we had walkie-talkies, by the way, we had big, tall antennas sticking out of our windows so we can talk to one another. As we headed west to Arkansas, he said, this cross will remind you who you are and whose you are. And he said, there are seasons when you need to be reminded. There are days, weeks, seasons when you will forget you need to be reminded of who you are and what you're called to do because sometimes you're going to forget. The cross is arguably the most recognizable symbol of Jesus. There are other good symbols, and I'm not even saying the cross is the best. It may be to you or maybe not. But the cross is the most recognized symbol of Jesus. And the cross is meant to draw people together. We sometimes pray and we say the words, Lord, in the shadow of the cross we gather. The cross is meant to gather us together. It's meant to pull us together. But we live in an age where we're good at, at distancing ourselves from one another. Like with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> Betty, who's your favorite baseball team? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to keep her away. I'm keeping her away with a 10-foot pole because if she believes that about baseball, who knows what she believes about politics? I'm going to keep her away. Kevin, you're with me, brother. Who you pull for? No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. You're, you're, from, you're with me. But you, you like that newfangled music. That's not even, it's not, those aren't hymns. I don't know what they are, but you're, I'm going to keep you away. I love you, but I'm keeping Andrew away with a 10-foot pole. We do this, not literally, of course, um, but sometimes we do. We jab one another with these poles. We keep people at a distance. We wear crosses around our neck because it's pretty jewelry, but we forget what it means. We forget what it symbolizes. It draws people in and together, and we can be united in Jesus the Christ. But instead, we have our poles. Where are you from, lady? Florida. Florida? Oh, my goodness. You definitely need to stay away. 
you know, those people from Florida, you just can't trust them. Oh, did I hit you, Kevin? <laughs> These things are dangerous. But this is what Jesus thinks of 10-foot poles. I need some help, Joe. Hold that right there. Don't move it there. Hope I don't cut you, Joe. Because that's not what Jesus thinks of 10-foot poles. Jesus does not like the way we yield our, wield our 10-foot poles. They could hurt somebody. I think I hurt Kevin. He's going to file a workman's comp claim. Jesus doesn't think highly of, of our 10-foot poles. The ways we keep people away and at bay. The way we smile, but we mean for them to stay distant from us. The cross, well, it's good jewelry, but we don't really believe it all the time, do we? That it's meant to reconcile us to God, that it's the symbol of God's love for us, that no distance can keep us apart, no wall can keep us stuck behind. No enmity, no strife. The cross is how we come together. And that's what Jesus thinks about a 10-foot pole. This is what Jesus thinks about a 10-foot pole. Christ died once for our sins. An innocent person died for those who are guilty. Christ did this to bring you to God when his body was put to death on a cross and his spirit was made alive forever. Amen. Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpres.church. Have a great week.